This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, November 10th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Fire District expands AI use. Words of the hunt and harvest, Penny Bear Mum takes up residence in Mountain Village and a mountain weather forecast. But first, David Kunk of Montrose passed away in Telluride on Thursday. Kunk collapsed while working above Lawson Hill at the water tank. According to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office, he was quickly attended to by his co-worker who called 911. Despite best efforts from the co-worker and paramedics, Kunk was pronounced dead at the scene. Kunk was a devoted family man who loved to ski and play guitar. He is survived by his parents, Phyllis and Norm, his children Ashley and Amy, his wife Lynn, and five grandchildren. Artificial intelligence, the flashy technology of the moment, is already at work in the forests of San Miguel County, monitoring for wildfire. And as KOTO's Gavin McGough reports, area fire districts are hoping to expand its use. For much of the 20th century, peaks and high points all across the U.S. were dotted with fire lookout towers, often on U.S. Forest Service land, which were staffed by rangers keeping watch for signs of forest fire. These towers have largely become obsolete. They exist as a reminder of an analog past, while communication and air monitoring advancements have made wildfire detection a bit more high-tech. Now, fire detection is again advancing, including here in San Miguel County, with the installation of cameras monitored by artificial intelligence. We currently have two sites up, the Gold Hill site, which is mounted on the top of Lift 9 in the Greyhead site, um, which is on a communication tower out on Greyhead. Um, We have two sites that are being installed, one on McKenzie Springs, the second in Raspberry. That's Telluride Fire Protection District Chief John Bennett discussing the locations of the district's Pano AI cameras. These cameras capture a vast and detailed view of the landscape in real time, Bennett says. And what happens is this is monitored by two command centers, one in LA, one in Australia. So there's an interaction with the artificial intelligence It has a a rotary stock of photos that will recognize from uh, a campfire to construction dust. Scanning the landscape, the AI works to identify phenomenon which could be a wildfire start. Bennett notes the two existing cameras have already flagged a number of controlled burns in the area and notified his crew. Just like the human fire lookouts of yesteryear, the early detection is key in managing a wildfire event, says Bennett. The beauty of this technology is that it helps us determine what kind of staffing we need to send out. Um, Do we need to call additional resources, mutual aid, um, our state and fed partners? Uh, Above and beyond that, it gives us uh, Google Maps overlay with topography, um, and all of that. So it's it's another tool that ties into um, not only our citizenry that might call 911, 
Um, it just gives us another monitoring tool. Bennett presented at a work session of the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners this week, which focused on area wildfire response and preparedness. The Telluride Fire District is partnering with Norwood's Fire Protection District, Bennett says. Because I'd like to expand this, uh, not only in the Telluride Fire Protection District, Southern Corridor, but also um, continued across the uh, Uncompagri and deeper into the North Fire District as well. Blanketing San Miguel County in an AI lens comes with costs, of course. And Bennett is hoping the commissioners can pitch $50,000 towards the project in 2024 and perhaps offer further funding in future years. Commissioners are sold on the technology. Wildfire is, of course, an increasing concern in the region given long-term drought and the burdens of climate change. Still, commissioners hesitate at the request for money. Here's Commissioner Ann Brown. It feels to me like we have all of these special districts to manage you know, each of their jobs, you know, and I don't think that San Miguel County, given all of the jobs that we do, would be able to, I mean, certainly we can't statutorily commit to more than one year. Correct. Um, I could get behind potentially a stopgap, but I don't see this as something that the county would be able to do long term. As Brown points out, both the Norwood and Telluride Fire Protection Districts set their own budgets and can raise taxes from the public. Just this May, voters approved a ballot measure to increase the Telluride District's tax collections. Commissioners say they're sympathetic to unpredictable costs, and they'll look to their coffers. The question of funding assistance for expanding Pano AI will appear at a future meeting for an official vote. As the days grow cold and crisp, Plants begin to die, animals move toward winter homes. In this time, local poets Art Goodtimes and Joanna Yonder think about our connection to the land. Hunting and, and gathering is what we have been doing as a species for over 200,000 years that we've been a species. Uh, <laughs> even the Homo erectus and other people were gathering and hunting. And so what, what, when we're hunting and gathering, we're actually participating in, a, in an oldest uh, human activity that we have. And so it takes us back to our deepest roots. I believe that all living things are imbued with some kind of spirit. And it's just um, this time of year, I think, is like a culmination. There's a lot about fruition at this time of year, a lot about gathering. So harvest is a, a beautiful and complex time, and hunting itself is a, is a beautiful and complex subject. I think people should make whatever choices they, they wish, but personally, hunting has been a beautiful extension of practice of being with land for me. Good Times and Yonder stopped by KOTO to share their poetic thoughts on hunting and the harvest. Here's a poem that I wrote this last week while I was out hunting. And I didn't get any elk, you guys. My freezer is empty. If you feel like you want to bless your local poet laureate, I'll holler at your girl. I'll trade you honey. This is called Crossing. Hunting light. It waxes early when the sky has come to earth as snow. Dust the dilly from your dally, get on out there into it to watch the sun begin to pierce the night's small freezing on the final aspen leaves. The elk awake, their breath arises visible, a sacred smoke from their dark snouts. 
If you are blessed, you may find their beds still warm among the woods, outlines of great and knowing bodies lying stenciled in the frost. If you're more blessed still, perhaps you'll have a harvest, and the elk and everything they've known can enter you and bring you strength. There are so many ways to be subsumed by earth, to let the mountain metamorphose into us. This is the blessing and the sorrow of the hunt. The lifeblood of the land becomes you, marrow teeming with the wonder of it all. This is called Skinning the Elk. There's a whole lot of life in these animals. George nods almost like a prayer. As I hold the hoofed leg steady for the knife, mist rising from the gutted belly, skin still warm, tempered steel peels back thick hide, fur the dark meat of the interior. Secret organs slight steaming under the bed of Greenbank's battered pickup, and I can't stop peering at the glazed crystal of those two antlered eyes. Perfect rivets welded to the girder that skeletal moment when the bullet's magic cut life short. Later, after the carcass is hung in a cottonwood tree, I go inside to wash my hands. But the blood won't come off, and there's no mistake. I am marked for life. I wear the elk's tattoo as its meat becomes my meat, and its blood stains my blood, spirit leaping from shape to shape. A grizzly bear and her cub are making Mountain Village their home this winter. We called it uh, Mum, uh, particularly because uh, uh, it's it, uh, probably when you approach a grizzly bear who's uh, in the woods, you want to be a little quiet <laughs> or maybe go the other way. But um, and it's also a mum. That's Lisa Ferguson. As you get closer to this piece of art, you think it's just a a bear that's uh, covered in fur, you're not sure what this fur is, even though it looks like fur, but on discovery, you come up to it and you find that that fur is actually composed of pennies embedded in the concrete skin. It's true. The latest Ursine resident isn't alive. She's a piece of art. Ferguson is the artist and sculptor. The piece, Mum, is one of Mountain Village's newest public art installations. The bear isn't the first of its kind in the Telluride region. Ferguson is also the artist behind Telluride's Penny Bear that stands on the east end of town across from Town Park. Lisa Ferguson and her co-creator and husband Robert Ferguson met and began collaborating at Burning Man. They started creating Penny Bears in 2013, when Canada, where Lisa is originally from, started phasing out the coin. We were seeing a lot of uh, uh, 
articles about making your bathroom floor with pennies. What to do with those old pennies? And uh, oh, okay, yeah, but I don't want to do that. But what else could be done? And we we sort of tiled them in a different way. We overlapped them. We made a, a goose um, out of pennies. Um, and that went over really well. And we took that to Burning Man. And then we just I thought, what else can we do with these things? Because um, pennies are a very are an inexpensive medium. Um, they're kind of guaranteed to last a long time because they're made to go through people's pockets and into piggy banks for you know decades. And Robert Ferguson says the reactions are priceless. Nobody gets it at first. When they see one of our penny bear sculptures from a medium distance, it looks like fur. I mean, that's what you think. Oh, well, they just covered it with some sort of uh, metal material or, or just painted it, whatever. But then they get close. And I don't know how many times I've listened to somebody go, oh, my God, it's made out of pennies. Lisa adds the mix of penny and bear brings out a childlike wonder. People love bears because we all had child. Uh, when we were children, we had teddy bears. So we have a, we resonate with bears and they're friendly looking. Um, but they also on discovery, when you see a penny, you there's there's another childhood fascination that when you've like a few pennies in your hand or a handful of them, you can buy candy with it. So there's always, we always have a connection that it, it, it it's, it's something that propels that it gives you purpose and you can do something with. So there, people love pennies. Some people, some people chuck them away. <laughs> then I pick them off the ground and put them into a bear. <laughs> Robert adds, they want to create something tactile. It's not like, Oh, look at that over there. Oh, I better not get too near it. No, it's like, come on up. For Lisa, she hopes the bear gives people the opportunity to think differently. People see this art, they will, it could possibly make people think, you just don't have to use a material for one thing, albeit like the penny, it could be used for something else. So even if in your your life, your daily, you're, you always think, think of the opposite or another way of using or another way of thinking your thoughts out. There's always another way. Mum consists of somewhere between $700 and $800 worth of pennies. She and her cub will live in Mountain Village's Conference Center Plaza through summer 2024. With winter upon us, diving into a pool may be the last thing on your mind. Not so in Norwood, as this week the Lone Cone Legacy Trust received $53,000 in seed money to start a fund for a community pool project. Norwood residents Lisa Foxwell and Paul Finley came forward with a donation in hopes of building momentum and interest in constructing a pool in town. The pool fund will be managed by the Lone Cone Trust, which supports community projects on Wrights Mesa and works closely with the Telluride Foundation. The possibility of a Norwood pool came about in 2007 when the Parks and Rec District in Norwood made plans for a $12 million rec center, with a pool included, funded by revenues from an oil and gas project in the area. The oil project fell through, taking the potential tax revenue and the rec center with it. Finley notes it could take 10 to 20 years to raise the funds necessary for the next iteration of the Norwood Pool, but in a statement he says when it comes, it will be a huge benefit for the community. Donations to the Pool Fund can be sent to the Lone Cone Legacy Trust at P.O. Box 565 in Norwood. The Colorado Department of Transportation will be conducting work on the Million Dollar Highway 
Highway 550, between Durango and Ridgeway next week. The work will include crack sealing, pothole patching, and erosion control. On the highway between Ridgeway and Ure, crews will be working to clean and reinforce ditches along a two-mile section of road. CDOT notes the work will take place between Monday, November 13th and Wednesday, November 15th. However, operations will be weather-dependent. Work will run from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Motorists should plan on 10 to 15-minute delays and expect single-lane alternating traffic. The deadline is approaching for the Colorado River Drought Task Force to submit recommendations for state-level policy solutions to tackle the ongoing water crisis in the state. The task force is a result of legislation that was passed earlier this year. Dylan Roberts, who represents Colorado's 8th Senate District, co-sponsored the bill. It established this task force that's made up of 17 people, some of the best and brightest minds in water that represent a variety of industries. You know, we have folks in agriculture, folks from outdoor recreation, environmentally minded folks, uh, people who work in industrial power production that rely on water, uh, and then water providers. Robert says the task force has been holding meetings around the state, hearing from different stakeholders, including tribal communities. To have those really hard conversations about what policies could we put in place regarding storage, uh, conservation, uh, incentives for farmers to use less water or incentives for municipal uh, water providers to conserve more and prepare a report that they have to prepare by the end of December. That report will go back to state legislators who will draft policies in next year's legislative session. The Colorado River Drought Task Force met this week in Glenwood Springs. It will meet virtually on November 16th and in Denver on December 7th. Members of the public can attend and submit comments. Hate crimes have been on the rise over the last decade. Now with the Israel-Gaza conflict, there's been an increase of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Speak Up and Stand Up Against Hate is a cooperative that looks to provide resources for those facing hatred. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KRCL's Laura Jones chatted with Luna Benuri of the Utah Muslim Civic League and Jay Jacobson of the United Jewish Federation of Utah to hear about the work they're doing. I wanted to ask you um, if... Any data you'd like to share? I have some from a Washington Post article that even before the Israel-Gaza war began last month, hate crimes in the country, including crimes against Jews and Muslims, had been on the rise. And I could go into some data specifically showing year over year in Los Angeles in particular, but what have you heard in terms of hate crimes, actions, speech concerns, Luna? Let me begin by saying that right now my community feels completely silenced completely in depth of sorrow for everything that's happening. But it's also become an urgent issue for the amount of hate incidences. We as an agency don't, are not a reporting agency, Mm -hmm. but the amount of people that have started uh, making an outreach to us, sharing their experiences, asking for resources and help, it almost prompted us to create a separate way of measuring and tracking it. So last Thursday, we launched a web page on our website where the Muslim community can come in either anonymously or by naming themselves and the incident can report what they're facing. We offer to help them 
either report it to the agencies or help them get connected to the resources. And this is in direct response to the amount of rise in hate incidences, you know, in the last one month. So things are really looking bad mm. as far as the local community is concerned for us. And Jay, it's almost the one month anniversary. Tomorrow is November 7th. Similarly, has the Federation, the United Jewish Federation of Utah, been tracking information a little differently or watching things more closely? Uh, Laura, I'll answer that. And I'd love to go back to your earlier comment, Mm. which was correct, that before this war in Israel began, we have been seeing a rise in hate crimes against every minority for more than 10 years now. So this is a very big issue, only exacerbated by what's happened recently. So the short answer to your question is, of course, in the U.S., I think Luna is quite right. The parties involved in the Middle East are predominantly Jewish people from Israel and Muslims from Gaza. Um, It's understandable then that anxiety and anger has risen in the United States and crimes have been committed, uh, interestingly enough, not always by one of those communities against the other. The, The war in Israel is very much between those two communities. In the United States, many fairly radicalized individuals have taken a position and demonstrated their anger at members of either of those communities or even people that they imagine to be members of those communities. For example, when there is an attack against people outside a house of worship, there's no guarantee that everyone standing there is one of those worshipers. That has happened repeatedly. It's also the case that Americans often misidentify people in terms of their racial or ethnic origin. So at this point, many people of color may be attacked under the assumption that they're from the Middle East or Muslim, and both of those assumptions might be wrong. So I think the thing to focus on is this epidemic of hatred. And just to go back, I try to make the point that we don't know all the reasons for that rising, um, I think particularly since about 2016 in the United States, but at the same time, not just the United States, but Europe was experiencing tremendous increases in anti-Semitism, but at the same time, and as Luna inferred, often rise in anti-Semitism is associated with Islamophobia. And in Europe, many of the refugees from many different parts of Africa and um, the Middle East have been moving to Europe, many of whom are Muslims, and there have been outbreaks of hatred toward them as well. So there's something that's been going on to those two groups, but I want to add quickly With the epidemic of COVID in 2020 in the United States, we saw something we hadn't seen for decades, which was acts of hatred against Asians. And again, let me reiterate, Americans who are hateful actors often don't discriminate. So while a lot of the anger was directed against China with no good reason in terms of an infectious disease, many of the people injured were people from India or Indonesia or Japan or Korea. So that's a phenomenon of change in hate. The last one I would mention, and the statistics bear it out, one of the most rapidly increasingly targeted groups are transgender individuals. And again, isn't that interesting? There's something that didn't even exist in many numbers quite a while ago. But as soon as that kind of difference appeared, there were people ready to act hatefully against them. You offer some tools in this new campaign, Luna, to rise above the hate. And 
one of the things, the very first thing is study yourself. This is where it starts. Once again, the way we learn history in this country or uh, as an immigrant in our home countries is not reflective of actual history. Islamophobia, the history of, let's say, Palestine is not part of our curriculums. And now to educate our educators, administrators, everyone as to how to deal or understand the history of anti-Semitism, history of Islamophobia. It's organizations like um, this kind of partnership and its members who have to take it upon themselves to educate and inform how to deal with multicultural communities. In terms of actions, we don't want war. We don't want civilians affected more than they have been. We do want aid to go in. We want absolute ceasefire. And we also are taking it upon ourselves to educate our community, to, to know their rights, to know that if you are wearing a hijab and if you are verbally assaulted, what constitutes crime and what constitutes an incidence and how to report these incidences. We want to make sure that our, uh, there's a centralized communication system amongst the community. We do not have centralized um, you know, uh, security at mosques or our community organizations and so on. We are getting help from our allies in that space. We want to make sure that anything and everything that the community feels that they need to voice is done in a disciplined way and that it gets to the right people. Every organization has their own way of working through it. Some protest, some write letters, some speak up. So we're making sure that all voices come together and that we are all, you know, unified in understanding that Utah is a place where we work together and that together we are stronger. In the last violence uh, in uh, Palestine and Israel, uh, both the Jewish and the Muslim community came together and issued a statement which became a proclamation by the mayor which spoke about that any attack on a synagogue is an attack on Muslims and any attack on Muslims is an attack on Jewish values, that we need to protect each other. And I think time is here that we need to be able to come together and find that common ground where civilians need to be protected. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Saturday should be sunny during the day and clear at night. The high is around 40 with a low in the mid-20s. Sunday expect sunny skies with a high near 55 degrees. Sunday night should be clear with a low around 30. This has been the news for Friday, November 10th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Town of Telluride compliance for deed-restricted homeowners begins Wednesday, November 29th. The link to the compliance forms will be sent to homeowners' emails on file. The forum will be live on November 29th at smrha.org slash tot compliance. Notaries and employment verifications will be required. To update your contact information or for questions, please contact 
admin at smrha.org or 970-728-3034. Do you own a business in San Miguel or Uray County? Are you ready to make energy upgrades but aren't sure where to start? Consider becoming a member of EcoAction Partners' Green Business Program. We can provide personalized resources based on your business's unique needs. This includes anything from waste reduction initiatives, LED upgrades to financing and implementing building renovations like insulation, weatherization, and more. The time is now to start saving your business money and reduce greenhouse gas emissions for our planet. Contact Sean Hart at sean at ecoactionpartners.org. That's S-E-A-N at eco, E-C-O, actionpartners.org. And become a member of this sustainable community today. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.